Preparation for the end time. Lesson 8. Worship the Creator. The universality of the Gospel. The last warning for this planet. What is it? We find it in Revelation chapter 14. It starts in verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. Eternal gospel to everyone. To everyone. That's the universality of the gospel. Now, in his great teaching about the end of the world, Jesus in Matthew 24 made an interesting statement about this message, this gospel going around. He says in Matthew 24, verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world. Not just here and there a little. In the whole world. As a testimony to all nations. And then, what will happen then? When this has happened. And then... The end will come. Because of this, many missionary societies were formed 200 years ago, 100 years ago, especially for New Guinea, when people discovered, oh, there are so many tribes, they, they haven't heard about it. And, and we must reach every area, otherwise you will not come again. So this, this very verse produced missionary activity because disciples discovered uh -huh, as long as we haven't fulfilled this commission to go everywhere so that everywhere has heard it. No chance. Now because of technique, media, now we are able huh, in a way, from one point to proclaim in a huge area. Internet. Great. Former days, radio, broadcasting, TV. So this, this technique, media, helps to proclaim the gospel in areas where state authorities tell the people, mm, not allowed. It's difficult to stop it. It goes through the air. Jesus, in his great commission, in Matthew 28, from verse 18 onwards, he tells us, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, 
Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always. How long? To the very end of the age. In former days, especially in Eastern communist countries, it was forbidden to proclaim the gospel. An evangelist tried to do that anyway, but in order to do so, you had to <coughs> go to a state authority and to ask for permission. You normally, usually never got it, so he didn't go there. He just went into a hole and started <coughs> proclaiming Jesus. Now, didn't take long. Messengers of the state, they stepped up to him, to the very front, on the platform, said, hmm? who allowed you to speak here? In the name of which authority are you allowed to do that? And the evangelist looked at them, quiet, peaceful. I got permission from the highest authority. Oh, sorry. It's okay. Thank you. And I left. He got permission from the highest authority. These people thought <laughs> God doesn't exist, so it must be the president of the state. <laughs> but it is the president of the universe. He. He gave permission. The thief on the cross and the everlasting gospel. The crucifixion of Jesus is a very, very tragic moment. Luke, in his Gospel, in chapter 23, tells us an interesting aspect about two criminals who were crucified on the right and left side of Jesus. Jesus was crucified in the middle to show that he is the worst of all. King of the Jews. In verse 39, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. He's about dying. That's the only words that came out of his mouth. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Nothing. Nothing wrong. An interesting aspect. A criminal says about Jesus, we have him got here. He says, Jesus has done 
nothing wrong. Interesting. We get what we deserve, but he has done nothing wrong. And then Jesus answers. I tell you the truth today. You will be with me in paradise. Ah, that is a dimension. You will be with me in paradise. He gets this information. We're about to die. Now, many, many Bible translations in this verse make a mistake. They translate, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. And that's wrong. Because this very day, Jesus won't be in paradise. And the criminal, <laughs> neither. Why so? On Sunday morning, Resurrection Day, Jesus appears to Mary of Magdala. As soon as she sees him, she wants to touch his feet. And he says, do not touch me. He doesn't allow it. Why not? She wants to express her, her feelings, her emotions, her love. Do not touch me. Why? I haven't been to my father yet. That's on Sunday. So he can't have been in Friday in the paradise. Why is it then translated like this? <clears throat> Technically, both variations are possible because in the original Greek version, paper, there wasn't paper, it was another material, but this writing material was so expensive that they put one word to the next without any space in between. No point, no full stop, no question mark, no exclamation mark, nothing. Just one letter beside the other. And then you have to find out, aha, uh -huh, here's the end of a word, here's the beginning of a new word, the end of the next word, the end of the next word. And you can translate, today you will be in paradise, or I tell you today you will be in paradise. And that's the only possible translation, because of that what happened on Sunday morning. Today I tell you, here when we are condemned, we, we hang here as criminals. But I tell you, you will be with me in paradise. And that's important. When all around you are sure that you are bad, a bad person, and God says you are okay, what's the problem? And what does it help when all people around you say you are the best? But God says, I cannot save you. What help will it be? You see, it depends on his opinion. We 
when he says, you will be with me in paradise, then it will be okay. And if all mean, and all think, oh, he will not be there, what does it matter? He will be there. It's because of him. What does he think of you? Fear God and give glory to him. This is the text, the first words of Revelation 14, verse 7, the last warning for this planet. Now, what does this mean? Fear God. Does it mean to be afraid? Of course not. But it's a kind of awe, respect. You look up to the king of the universe and you discover when you look in the evening and night up to the sky, to the stars, then you discover how small you are and how great he is. Now in Exodus chapter 20, when Mose got the Tekalog, the Ten Commands, there were things in nature where the Israelites experienced, ah, oh, he's great. We read in verse 18, when the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and they said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen. But do not have God speak to us, or we will die. So I have something discovered. This God is such a great God. He created his nature. He can just act like this, and we do not exist anymore. It's an experience of smallness in comparison to his greatness. When Solomon, the great king who made a lot of mistakes because of the many wives he had, and then he wrote a book, Ecclesiastes, and at the end, after 12 chapters, he just <laughs> writes a simple sentence. What's, what's the summary of all his thinking about life and future and death and everything? Fear God and keep his commandments. That's all. For this is the whole duty of man. That's all. Be 
Because if you once have experienced, he is the great, now I'm the small, you have the right, the right thinking about him. Without this correct understanding of his greatness and your smallness, you will never be able to find a way to salvation. Because only out of this, how, how great you are, then it works. Only then. In the book of Job, there's an interesting aspect. God and Job, they talk together, but in the beginning we hear that God and the devil talk together. And God says, hmm, have you considered my servant Job? Have you seen my superstar? Look at him. That's someone. And the devil says in Job 1 verse 9, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands. Oh, that's a wonderful text. You have put a hedge around his household. That the devil can't get through. What does Job do? He fears God. That's the point. What about you? The hour of his judgment has come. Fear God. Worship him as the creator. The hour of his judgment has come. End time living means the hour of judgment comes nearer and nearer and nearer. Now, King Solomon, at the end of his life, when he had written the book of Ecclesiastes, he says now, Here's the conclusion of the matter. Chapter 12 at the end. Fear God and keep his commandments. That's all. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment. Imagine. God will bring every deed into judgment. Including Every hidden thing, every hidden thing, mm -hmm. every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. We are filmed day by day. Your whole life is stored in heaven, in a film, the film of your life. And when the hour of judgment has come for you, to will only show a film of your life. And what will happen? Your mouth 
you will not utter a single word. When you see everything, everything, whether it was night or day, everything is filmed of everybody on this planet who ever lived. It's the history of all the people and of all the peoples. Therefore, fear God. Your deeds, they will come into judgment. That's what King Solomon knew. He is right. When Jesus was on this planet, he said words of such a deep meaning. In Matthew 12, 36, but I tell you that man will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For every careless word. It isn't written for every bad word. Careless. Just good for nothing. Just talking that that we keep on talking. You must give account. Why? Why haven't you used your time in a more wise way? So, when our deeds will be judged, we are without any chance, aren't we? Therefore, <coughs> That's very important. If you do not want that in the day of judgment some special scenes are shown to everybody. You say, oh, no, 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 not this kind of theme, scene. Uh, uh, not it will not help. But if you do now something about it. Now. Not then. Now. Did you come to Jesus and you tell him what has been there, what I've said, what I've done? I'm sorry for that. Please forgive me. Then Jesus is the only one who can press the button reset and it's okay. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Worship the one who made the heavens and tears. Worship him. When we go out during the night and watch the sky it's not cloudy, and we look up at all these stars. It's great, isn't it? The sky in the night, it's something of such a greatness. N nothing else is so great. 
and all these stars, they say, we are created. That is creation of a creator. In Revelation 14, verse 7, what does this angel say for the last warning? Fear God, give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Worship him who made. In the center of the universe, the heavenly government, they praise God. They praise him because of his creation, because he is the creator. On earth, the earliest stage kindergarten, years of school, up to university, what is taught? Fear God, worship him who made the heavens and the earth. Do you hear this? Why not? There's a, a great conflict between the devil and God. There's a great conflict. And the devil, oh, he can stand it that the creator is so great because of his creation. But what can he do about it? He can't not just send the creation away. It is there. So the creation is a witness for the creator. And it's hard for the devil to bear. And it's hard for him that there's a commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And every seventh day, remember. Because in six days God made the heavens and the earth and, 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 and. That's hard for him. Here, Iguazu waterfalls in South America, the biggest waterfall on this planet. You can hear it 100 miles away. It's enormous, enormous. This mass of water. Right. The earth is witness. He created. The devil, ah, oh, he can stand it. And therefore, his attack exactly on a creator. Because creation is the strongest witness. The devil wants to throw away the creator. And because of this, this last warning is so important. And if you are on the side of those who put God away as the creator, no salvation will be possible. Because it's the last warning. Worship him who made the heavens and tears. Summary.
worship the Creator. Whenever we look up into the sky and we have a look at creation, a, a feeling of awness comes into our heart. Now in the heavenly sanctuary, in the center of the universe, where the throne of God is, and all the galaxies, they surround the center of the universe. They encircle it. Like the earth encircles the sun, so all the galaxies encircle the throne of God in the center of the universe. And there, in the center of the center, so where the, the most important place of this universe is, there is the Father on the throne, and he is worshipped by the heavenly creatures, by the heavenly government. And what do they say? The revelator, John, he heard it. So the most important ones in the heavenly government, what do they say to God the Father? At the end of chapter 4, verse 11, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. Why so? For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. It's by your will, therefore they are. And therefore you are worthy to be honored. You are worthy to be honored. You are because you created. It's interesting, isn't it? There, in the center of the universe, in the most important place in this universe, they know that he is the creator. Because they have seen him create the creation. But we, little ones, tiny creatures, we think we know how it had been in the past. Ridiculous, isn't it? Therefore, Job is asked in chapter 31, where, God asks him, <laughs> where have you been? Job, where have you been? When I created the earth. Where have you been? Ah, oh, you haven't been in existence. <laughs> that's, that's all. Where have you been? And the Lord of the universe, he asked all these university teachers on this planet, where have you been when I created this universe? Where have you been? You were not in existence. And I tell you, I have created. But you want to tell me, it was just by chance. Ridiculous. And therefore the last warning. Worship God, the Creator. Worship Him, who made everything. In chapter 5, 
Another worship song appears, starting, you are worthy, to the Lamb. Now what's there? You are worthy, verse 9, because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased man for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. With your blood you purchased man for God from everywhere. Two times we hear you are worthy. The Father you have made. You have redeemed mankind. When we look at our lives, the day when we were born, and then we live, till the day we die, isn't it? Isn't it like this? Of course it is like this. Being born, and then they say, he has died, or she has died. <gasps> it's the end. Or? So, the most important fact is that you are born, otherwise you don't exist. The problem is that you just slip away in time. But because of the Lamb, it has redeemed you. This life goes on. He's our Redeemer. It's all about life. That you come into existence, that you live, and that this living goes on forever. Therefore, these two heavenly sanctuary visions. Father, you are worthy. You have made. Jesus, you are worthy to be honored. You have redeemed us.